Welcome to Allied, the podcast for everything you need to know about web and video accessibility. I'm your host, Elisa Lewis, and I sit down with an accessibility expert each month to learn about their work. Every episode has a transcript published with it, which can be viewed by accessing the episode on the 3Play Media website. If you like what you hear on Allied, please subscribe or leave a review. Allied is brought to you by 3Play Media, your video accessibility partner. Visit us at www.3playmedia.com to learn why thousands of customers trust us to make their video and media accessible. Today we're joined by Charlotte Dales, co-founder and CEO of Inclusively, a workforce inclusion platform that connects job seekers with employers who are committed to attracting and retaining people with disabilities. After witnessing her cousin Cameron's career fulfillment, Charlotte became passionate about replicating her employment success story for disabled talent and started Inclusively. Under Charlotte's leadership, Inclusively is proud to be modernizing recruitment by creating structure and transparency around accommodations, which benefits all job seekers. Charlotte graduated from the University of Colorado Boulder and lives in Richmond, Virginia with her husband and two children. This is her second startup venture. She sold the first to American Express. Welcome, Charlotte. We're so excited to have you on Allied to talk about inclusive hiring. Um, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think we've been hearing more and more about what an inclusive work environment looks like, um, but I'm really excited to kind of take a step back and talk more about the hiring process itself. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Before we dive into our theme for today, I'd love to know a little bit more about you. Um, and I love to ask what's something important about who you are that's not covered in your formal bio? I would say that I was a journalism major at um, the University of Colorado. And I only say that because um, most of my bio is typically around startups and technology and I actually had no experience in any of these things before starting my first company. And, you know, when I started inclusively, no experience besides personal experience um, with someone with a disability, a relative. Um, So I think it's always important for people to know that if they have an idea, um, you don't really need to know much more about it other than the desire to to go do it. Awesome. Yeah, that's a great um, kind of little motivation to, to start this conversation. So I love it. Um, that's also a great segue. I'd love to know a little bit more if you can share about where your interest in this line of work came from and how you did transition um, and get started in the accessibility space. Yeah. So um, my first cousin, Cameron, um, is only a couple months younger than me, and she was born with Down syndrome. And so I've grown up with her my entire life, um, especially since we were similar ages. And, um, you know, she's always been sort of like the family celebrity. Um, And she always seems to kick down the doors that are put up in front of her just throughout her life. 
Um, and she's always just been incredibly impressive and an inspiration to me. Um, but while I, I had another startup, um, over in London, which we sold to Amex at the end of 2017. And while I was selling that company, she became the first licensed facialist in the state of Florida with down syndrome. Um, so she gives facials at a local salon and, Ultimately, after getting my first facial from her, I knew this would be my next company. It was just incredibly clear to me um, that her or her company only had to make some slight adjustments to her working environment that were also free to make. And obviously the incredible impact it had on her career. And so I wanted to figure out how we could use technology to make that more scalable for employers to be able to accommodate anyone with a disability's unique requests at scale. That's such a great story. And I think it's, it's something that's really interesting. You know, we, we definitely saw it when we all moved to a remote world that really everyone can use sort of different tools, whether we think of them as accommodations or not. Um, right. But just some minor shifts that help you do your job. Um, you know, for me, really like setting up, you know, having certain things to set up a home office. Um, and I think if we kind of think about it in that approach, um, and it sounds like your cousin experienced something similar where it was really, you know, small changes that made a huge difference. Yeah. And I think that, um, you're exactly correct. Like how sort of our vision and mission for this company is to create one front door for everyone. So accommodations don't just benefit the disability community. Certain accommodations could help benefit, you know, first-generation college grads, caregivers of people with disabilities, single parents. Um, and as you said, the sort of pandemic showed us that everyone has different working conditions upon which they can thrive. Um, and so if we can create and normalize the ability for people to ask for those things, um, we can hopefully bring more productive and happy employees into the workforce. Absolutely. And then that just levels the playing field for people with disabilities if everyone's going through an accommodations process instead of just them. So I, I want to take a step back. And for anyone listening um, who may not already be familiar with Inclusively, are you able to share um, one, like a little bit more about what Inclusively does? And, and you touched a little bit on your mission, but um, a little bit more about the mission. And then I'd also love to hear a little bit more about, you know, the founding story. And again, we got there a little bit, but I think it's it's so unique. Um, so I'd love to just take a deeper dive into, into Inclusively. Yeah, so um, we're an employment platform that makes it really easy for employers to accommodate candidates at scale. And how we do this is we you know, normalize the ability for candidates to request accommodations ahead of an interview or ahead of even applying for a job. Um, so when a candidate registers for our site, they can upload their existing credentials um, or we can generate a resume for them. Um, but the real unique value is that they're trusting us to disclose their accommodations before ever even applying for a job. So they can request from a list of multiple different accommodations to see to to make them more successful, both for an interview and on the job. 
Um, and once they cho choose those accommodations, they're able to, um, employers are able to see those as they're searching through candidates' profiles. And, you know, historically, candidates have been told not to disclose anything unless they absolutely have to until after getting a job offer. But this doesn't create a great experience for them or for the employer. Um, and they're trusting us because they know that we're only working with employers who, one, want to access this demographic, but two, um, we're shipping that data over to the employer with um, sort of micro training so that they can actually respond. So on the employer's end, um, candidates are able to actively apply for their jobs and our algorithm is also recommending candidates for positions as well. Um, whenever they're looking at a candidate's profile, they're not only able to see what accommodations they need, but also information about how to provide them um, and why someone might ask for them. Um, and what's the benefit of, you know, someone who may ask for this is also really good at these types of things. Um, and so really giving people like the context that they need to provide an inclusive experience at the front door, instead of always sending people through an accommodation, like a legal and compliance process simply for, you know, asking not to have a panel interview. Um, so we we really um, believe the value of our platform is not just in, you know, curating a list of candidates with disabilities, but actually how we're personalizing the content to the employer so that they're actually learning when it's relevant instead of relying on um, annual trainings to change people's behavior. Um, and then I guess you asked about the founding story. Um, so as I said, it was it was my cousin who sort of inspired me to start this. Um, and my co-founder and our COO, Sarah Bernard, um, quickly sort of joined me on the process. We were friends from, you know, a while ago and she came over to visit me actually when I had my first child, I was still living in London. And, um, I told her about this idea and she just sort of asked me, how can I help? And, you know, I told her I couldn't pay her anything and she was fine with that. So we just got started. Um, and, you know, I think one of the most memorable parts of starting this company was initially thinking that what we needed to build was a way to map people's symptoms back to fun functions and skills that make up the workforce so that they could identify what jobs would be best for them. But what we quickly realized, both in speaking with candidates and on the employer side, is that there's hundreds of thousands of nonprofits, government agencies, training programs, all these companies out there and organizations that are, um, you know, giving candidates the skills and mentoring and trying to help them get jobs, and they're still not getting jobs. And really, if you want to fix this problem, it's not about just sending pipeline to, to employers. That would imply that these candidates aren't already applying for jobs. The problem is that they are, and they're getting filtered out of the process in various different stages, whether it's you know, applicant tracking system algorithms that are shoving their resumes down at the bottom because maybe they have gaps in their resume, or it could be that they're being put through an interview process that's, you know, the same for every single person. And so, you know, one of the most memorable experiences is just the shift of understanding like, wow, we're not actually building a product for candidates with disabilities. We need to help employers fix the processes that have been historically repeated over decades in hiring and adjust those so that they can hire people with disabilities. Because 
they're already out there and they're already skilled and they're already looking for jobs and they already can do the jobs that we have available. Um, but the kind of existing pattern matching that's evolved over time with hiring has actually um, is really the problem that needs to be fixed. Yeah, that's a, a really insightful shift. And I think um, it really interesting to kind of hear the story of, of how, you know, the, the business evolved from what you thought it might look like um, to what it actually does look like. I'm curious, um, how do you go about and, and how has it been, you know, I guess, getting the buy-in from organizations, um, particularly those who are not innately in the accessibility space? Um, what has that looked like? And have you seen a shift um, over the last few years, you know, certainly with the pandemic and with um, kind of this rise in diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts? Yeah. So I would say, you know, three to four years ago when we started looking at this, um, and talking to companies, like disability really wasn't included in the DEI narrative. Um, and now fast forward to today, if it's not already been included, they know they're behind in including it. So they're very motivated to start taking action. Um, but I think that it's completely different than when we started. And I think there's you know reasons attributed to the pandemic I think it's the generational shift in the workforce. So Gen Z's, the millennials who are 10 times more likely to leave their job because of culture over, you know, compensation and title. Um, I think, you know, a lot of the, and the cultural movements that have happened over the past, you know, 24 months. Um, I think it's an, you know, an amazing, it's been an ama amazing to watch how companies have shifted from like, I don't know if this is one of our priorities to this is a priority and we're behind or this is a priority and we want to move faster. Um, so there is, you know, not to say that there isn't still a lot of education that needs to happen in the market for people to really understand what the commitment is they have to make on their end to get this done. Like you can't just turn on inclusively and a bunch of candidates will get hired at your company, but the, the trend is happening in the right direction. Yeah. I imagine um, it's been a really interesting few years to, to see that shift for all of the reasons that you mentioned. Um, you know, and I think that's a really good point that you make yes, this is a great, you know, start, but you also need to be willing to do the work once those individuals are hired um, and in the workforce. So, um, it, you know, it's definitely a commitment, but it's certainly one that's that's worth making and, and necessary. And I think a lot of people, both employees and consumers, if it's a, you know, organization that has kind of consumers and um, is a little bit more B2C, like consumers are, are really, yeah. putting more pressure on organizations to like put their values, um, you know, kind of put their money where their mouth is. Um, and demonstrate and real progress, not just statements. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'm curious, could you give some examples of the types of accommodations or support that employers should provide for candidates and maybe including um, those with invisible or sort of non-apparent disabilities? Yeah. So I think like one that, that we see a lot, I, I think one thing that's always been overlooked in, in this whole sort of, you know, process um, in the past has been the actual interview accommodations, because 
if someone is not being set up for success for the interview, they're not entering the organization. Um, and therefore all the other subsequent accommodations um, become irrelevant. Um, so I think, you know, one that we see a lot is, you know, preferring not to have a panel interview. Um, a lot of people who might have ADHD or are, you know, neurodiverse um, would, would do better under a one-to-one scenario. And if, you know, public speaking isn't part of the role, um, it's not really necessary to mandate that there needs to be a panel interview. Um, others is getting information ahead of time. So for people who might um, use a screen reader, being able to review things ahead of time and not have to be trying to do, you know, two things at once on an interview is um, also incredibly helpful. I think also that can help with other types of um, disabilities where social anxieties are, are prevalent in terms of just being able to feel a little bit more prepared um, in a scenario where you might not always feel super comfortable answering things on the fly. Um, from an on-the-job perspective, I think, you know, having a job mentor on site or some type of like coaching um, that's readily available, there's so many cool benefits and services that are also popping up that actually you know, serve as accommodations. So, you know, there's a lot of companies out there that are providing digital um, job coaching and executive leadership coaching that make it really affordable for large companies to just offer this as a service to their um, employees. That's, you know, a perfect example of this, not just helping people with disabilities, but also helping, you know, the wider, um, can it, you know, the wider employee base. Um, I think, you know, having like flexible schedule, remote work, we all know that. Um, and then other things that I think pertain maybe more to the disability community is, you know, being able to have, you know, certain set break times, um, you know, there's different things around lighting and noise canceling headphones. Um, it's really kind of about what is for us, it's, you know, we don't really it, we don't really define what the disability is. It's what skills do you have and what accommodations do you need? And from the employer's perspective, it's what skills do you need and what accommodations can be made for those um, positions and really stripping disability out of the middle of it because even two people with you know the same disability are potentially don't need the same accommodations. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you know, I've also a, a sort of question that's come up recently in other um, conversations within the accessibility and, and disability community is kind of this idea of what is considered a disability. And I, you know, I've heard people kind of struggling with like, is something like anxiety or even, you know, chronic pain, is that considered a disability? And, and kind of when these, you know, things come up about, well, I, do I really need an accommodation? Um, it's not maybe quote as bad as, as somebody who has some other type of disability and this kind of inner conflict. And I think, um, you know, to your point, it's not about the disability, it's about the skills and it's about the needs. Um, and I think that's a really important way to think of it. Everybody has different needs and um, different ways that they can succeed. And it, it's, um, it's just really great to hear that that's kind of where the focus is. Yeah. And I think like, you know, for any person who's requesting an accommodation, no matter how, you know, they perceive the significance of their disability or not, every time an employer is making an accommodation for someone is progress for everybody. 
Um, and I think that that should be, you know, lots of employers will ask like, well, how do we know if they really have a disability or can we verify this? And it's like, why does that even matter? Um, every time you're making an accommodation for someone and they are successful, um, you're, you're just broadening the pathways for more diverse talent to come work here. Absolutely. Earlier this year, inclusively commissioned Forrester to research and report on the benefits of diversity, equity, inclusion, or DEI, with a specific focus on disability. Um, the report found that most organizations have basic DEI practices, but employees don't feel equipped above and beyond these goals. Um, Inclusive hiring practices could be considered phase one of a more deep-rooted structural change, but how can organizations ensure that they continue to support employees once onboarding is over? Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things that we would argue on that is that, you know, there currently exists like a highly centralized accommodations process. So it means that like the hiring manager and the recruiter and the people actually meeting the candidate and potentially working with the candidate aren't really responsible for understanding these accommodations and providing them and, you know, making decisions around them. And I think that um, by decentralizing the accommodations process and making it part of like everyone's responsibility to create this inclusion, um, that's how you're going to, you know, get companies to take ownership on sort of beyond the hire, like how is, you know, the actual onboarding and, and the actual experience for um, the employee, like it needs to be, you know, genuinely driven by the people that the candidate's going to interact with. And there needs to be an empathy there for both the hiring manager and the team um, that the candidate will be working with and not have it be viewed as, you know, kind of this legal and compliance thing that no one else has to talk about or address, um, but everyone being sort of open to this new way of working with a teammate and potentially learning a better way to do things. I'm curious if you could share some of the other top takeaways from this report and specifically, did the research look into, you know, the impact um, of having a diverse workforce and of providing accommodations to, to those who, who could benefit from them um, in terms of meeting company goals or even impacting bottom line? Yeah, so our, the Forrester report mainly focused on sort of what is the intention behind DEI, you know, practices and you know, how has it changed over time? So initially it was very much kind of compliance driven and now it's more leadership driven. Um, and then it, from a disability specific um, standpoint, looking at companies who have disability, you know, not only included, but actually incentivizations to, to make more progress in that as a diversity category. Um, I think one of the, you know, biggest highlights for us is that only 40% of people said that they have an accommodations process that's clear and easy to understand. Um, I think, you know, I've said, sort of talked about accommodations this entire podcast, but I think that really is like the key to getting people in the door is understanding those, having a really streamlined process, making sure people, you know, 
on the ground actually hiring or aware of them and can make interview accommodations on the spot and don't have to run people through sort of separate processes. And ultimately that they understand that there is a process at the company and that it's, you know, easy to execute on. Um, I thought that just given the amount of uh, companies that reported that they are really focused on this, um, only 40% having, you know, a process to actually make it happen was quite low. Um, in terms of sort of the, the benefits, um, beyond just diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that, um, you know, the, like, this is for us, you know, I initially started this thinking everyone will just want to do this because it's the right thing to do, but, Ultimately, unless you make a business case for something, that's not a sustainable, you know, way to make progress um, on this initiative. And I think really bringing to the front, not only the, um, you know, not only the uh, benefits to having a more diverse workforce, which um, come with, you know, revenue, customer satisfaction, candidate satisfaction and retention, but also the consequences of, you know, not doing it, which is something that we measured in this report around employee satisfaction, employee retention, brand value, um, customer satisfaction and revenue. Um, basically across all of these categories, um, the question that was asked was that if you don't invest in this or aim to improve it, how do you expect the following to change by 2025? And across all of these categories, it was um, a decrease in sort of um, the company's overall um, sort of, I guess, success um, across the most important categories of the business. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. And definitely goes back to kind of what we touched on earlier is that there's this pressure now, um, from, you know, both internally and externally to you know, kind of support the values, um, of your, of your employees and of your, um, you know, those who are interacting with your business. And, um, yeah, I think it's kind of like, we're now forcing that, like it should be done because it's the right thing to do. Um, and we're kind of forcing that and, into the business and into, you know, the success of the business. Um, so, yeah. And, and sort of saying that it's not only the right thing to do, but you know, you'll have to do it like generationally, um, candidates are, you know, more likely to leave their job if they are working for a company that's not enforcing DEI from a real like data driven perspective, not just a statement. Um, so ultimately if you want to, you know, be, an employer of choice for the next generation of the workforce, you know, you have to start making progress towards this because the market and the candidates will walk um, if, if you don't. Do you have any recommendations on how accessibility professionals can introduce this subject to relevant decision makers, be it the um, human resources department or C-suite executive team? I think it's um, trying to focus on these business cases ahead of sort of the feel good and altruistic piece around DEI. Like, why is DEI important to the company's bottom line? You know, people and attracting and retaining talent um, and being able to tap into untapped talent is a huge benefit for companies. Ultimately, your people are what make up the success or lack of success of your company. Um, And I also just think that you know, 
um, to the extent that it makes sense and it will make sense with a lot of organizations that, you know, this is an entirely kind of disregarded customer segment when it comes to building products and services really geared towards them. And, you know, there's one in four to five people that have a disability um, in the United States. And, you know, so creating products that better serve this demographic not only opens you up to this market, but the trillions of dollars in disposable income that they alongside their families um, have. And so I think it's really kind of doing your homework on what's the what's the business case for your company specifically um, so that, you know, you're really you're pitching an initiative that's sustainable and that's going to last. Are there any resources you would recommend um, kind of on that note to educate and maybe even persuade leaders to pursue inclusive hiring um, and employee support initiatives? Um, I think there's a ton of resources out there. Accenture regularly produces reports on this. The Valuable 500 does a lot of good research on this. Um, our Forrester report is a good indicator on sort of where the market's shifting and, and how HR officials in particular feel about it. Um, I think that there is a lot more research recently done in this space than there has been in the past. Um, but I would say those two, you know, Harvard uh, Business Review has done a really good report. I mean, you really can pick up some you know, not just random Google links, but if you start Googling this, you'll find some very credible reports that can help. Um, really, I think you can find pretty much a justification for any business on this planet about why this is better for business. Yeah. Yeah. It's great um, that there have been some really big name um, kind of organizations backing this research and, and, um, and really providing the evidence. As we wrap up the conversation, I'm curious if you have any final sort of either pieces of advice or um, just anything else you'd like to share with our audience, um, you know, in, in inclusive hiring. Yeah. So I think that the biggest piece of advice that um, I can give in terms of especially people who are wanting to make this change at their organization is that it can literally start with one person who cares about this. I think that a lot of times, especially in large companies, you know, you feel like there's all this process and, you know, initiatives and, you know, things that you have to do to get things across the line. But ultimately, you're, you know, if you are someone who's working at a company and start speaking about this, and if you're going to make a hire and try and actively find someone with a disability to prove to the people sitting around you that you've hired someone with a disability and they're incredibly successful, it really does spread much faster than people think. And I think that it really takes one person at a company to care about this, to start, you know, evangelizing and advocating um, and I think that the best advice is that, you know, you can be that one person, anyone really can be at any company. Um, and it doesn't need to be such a heavy lift, um, which is often how many people approach large problems at big companies. Yeah, thank you. I think that's a great reminder. Um, you know, kind of, I think we get wrapped up in accessibility and accommodations and some of these huge buzzwords, um, and they feel a little bit insurmountable. Um, but I think you make a really great point that it's, it's possible and it comes with kind of small incremental steps. So that's a, yeah, just ask some, just ask everyone that 
you interview if they need an accommodation and, you know, you may open the door for someone who maybe wouldn't have disclosed um, otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Charlotte. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Allied. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave us a rating and review. To catch all the latest on accessibility, visit www.3playmedia.com backslash allied podcast. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.